Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's incredibly special episode of TCCP is none other than Northamptonshire County Cricket Club icon, Rob Keogh. So Rob, first things first, mate, thank you very much for coming back onto the podcast, a second appearance on TCCP. It's wonderful to welcome you back onto our platform. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Uh, yeah, good, thanks, and thanks for having me back. I know it's, um, it's nice to be asked onto these things and and give back a little bit. I keep an eye on what you do on social media, so it's, uh, yeah, nice to be welcome back. It must have meant I did a good job first time around, I'm sure, so. Um, well, you certainly did. Oh, thanks for that, yeah, but no, day's been good, day's been good. A couple of testimonial meetings this morning, so... And then got a meeting at the ground again this afternoon. So it's sort of start of pre-season time. So we've got the old do's and don'ts meetings coming up. And, you know, I've sat for a fair few of those. So it's just pretty regulation. So, yeah, it shouldn't be too stressful. No, it shouldn't be. But it, it's a, a weird time of the year, isn't it, actually, November? Because we've had part of the off-season. It's technically still the off-season because it's winter. But everyone's starting to get back into the, the flow of things and the swing of, of county cricket life it's quite a strange time of year but in terms of the off season have you had a nice one uh yeah it's been nice actually i i do enjoy october and start of november it's nice to have six weeks off to just switch off and refresh um it's been slightly different for me this year with the testimonial coming up in 2024 so i'm trying to be as proactive with that as possible um i know you said you spoke to uh ollie he's he's got one with warwickshire as well so i'm sure he'll be the same as me trying to be proactive and trying to make it fun but no it is always nice to have a break and switch off from cricket but it is always a shock to the system the first day back in november i'm always seem to get fatter and slower every year so um we've got a new strength and conditioning coach starting um this year as well so i'm sure he's going to have some challenging drills for us this winter to try and get us fitter and stronger absolutely because before you know it it's the season again isn't it that is how the county system works it's quite remarkable isn't it we all moan over the winter and say oh it's going too slow and then bang blink of an eye it's march it's april you're preparing for the new season and all of a sudden it's the county championship again it's it's quite nice really but in terms of that testimonial rob before we get into our chats about your career at North Answer Dates. Just for those who don't know, what goes in to the planning and preparation of a testimonial year? Uh, I guess it's fairly personal on how you want to do it. Um, you know, I, I'm in the process now of doing a, a brochure for the year. I'm sure that's fairly common. Um, so reaching out to the club sponsors, personal contacts, um, we have a committee in place who will also reach out to their contacts, you know, try uh, trying to get articles from various different players um, from all different sports, really. I've just been lucky enough that um, Courtney Laws has done an article for me. He's a Northampton boy. He's got his testimonial this year as well. Um, so, you know, getting reaching out to those sort of people, um, gathering articles, gathering sponsors for for the brochure adverts and stuff. So, it's actually a bit of a eye-opener for life after cricket. It's, it's definitely 
gave me a bit more confidence to pick up the phone and speak to people and I can definitely use that when my cricket career is over I think. 100% because that is part and parcel of the testimonial isn't it about setting you up for that life away from the professional game and in terms of the testimonial itself have you got a website or any socials that we can just plug before we get into the the episode? Oh, I have actually. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's, um, it's nice and simple. It's just Rob Keo 2024. Um, that's the website and the socials. There's actually not much on there for now. The website's up, but it's just a bit of a holding page at the minute where you can sign up with your email address. Um, and social medias will just keep people up to date with the events and what we have going on. So it's exciting. Yeah, I'm hoping to have some fun and hoping to give back a little bit to the supporters who you know have helped me throughout my career. Absolutely. And folks, if you want to go and check out those socials and of course the website, we'll leave the links to those in the podcast description below. It's always nice to help out. And in your case, Rob, it's thoroughly deserved. So happy to help in any way that we can as well. But we're not just here to discuss your testimonial year, are we, Rob? Instead, we're here to discuss and look back on your glittering career at Wantage Road so far. So before we get into the main content of the podcast, which will, of course, surround the East Midlands County and the Tudor Rose of Northamptonshire County Cricket Club. I want to take it all the way back to the origins of the Rob Keogh cricketing story. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? Um, it was my dad, actually. So he he played for Dunstable Town um, Saturdays and Sundays. He gave gave his weekends up to play for Dunstable and... I remember just going down, watching him play. Um, people he played with had kids similar age, so we would go down, mess around, mainly with the football, actually, just go down, have a kick around, watch our dads play, and um, just wanted to play from there, really. And then and then got into cricket myself, obviously joined the Dunstable age group setups, and um, yeah, just sort of got, got picked for Bedfordshire at a young age, 10, um, and then got scouted by the North Ants Emerging Players Programme, which they they bring players from the surrounding minor counties up and hold like an open sort of trial. So I think from the age of 12, I was involved up at, up at North Ants and Kevin is sort of, he must have seen something that he liked in me. And I then moved my age group cricket from Bedfordshire over to North Ants at 15, um, and worked closely with a guy called Phil Rowe, who was my age group um, and EPP coach. He then got promoted second team and academy coach uh, and assistant coach, which was good for me. It was a familiar face and someone who I'd worked with um, from such a young age. And then obviously Rips was was my academy coach when I first started and he then went on to be um, head coach. So it was nice to have those guys who had seen me from such a young age up until being the player I am today, I guess. And before we touch upon the player that you are today, Robbins, we do discuss North Ants and the influence of David Ripley, a former podcast guest and an absolute guru when it comes to cricket coaching, one of the great men on the county circuits. In those formative years, you mentioned your dad and his involvement at Dunstable Town. He was a massive inspiration in those formative years. But aside from your dad, who in the professional circuits and the international arena, maybe, did you look up to in those formative years? Did you have any role models, any icons, any influences who really impacted a young Rob Keogh? 
Um, I always liked, obviously, the classics. You've got, you know, the Pontins of, of this world. And um, I was actually a big Michael Clark fan. Um, I don't know why, something different. Um, really enjoyed him. And actually, Ian Bell. Um, and I was lucky enough to play a few times against against Ian Bell, which is nice. And I think I got him out in a pre-season game. So it's nice to sort of, yeah, get your heroes out and actually play against them, which is nice. And I, I had a chance to play with Michael Clark in Australia, actually. I played for his club side, his grade side. Um, and luckily enough, the year I was out there, he he turned out and played a couple of games. So got to share a dressing room um, with him and have a good chat to him. I think he was Australia captain at that stage as well. So, you know, it was, yeah, it was a nice moment. Certainly sounds it. And yeah, quite good company to have in the same dressing room. Michael Clark, a very, very successful Australia captain. And to be honest, Rob, I was going to follow up that question by saying, who would your dream next session be with those three cricketers? So Ricky Ponting, Ian Bell and Michael Clark. But you've already played with Michael Clark and you played a lot against Ian Bell. So it kind of makes the question slightly redundant. So instead of that question, I wanted to touch upon Michael Clark in particular, because as you've spent that time in close proximity, having conversations with him, what would you say was the biggest thing that you learned from that time alongside Michael Clark? Um, it was slightly different, actually, because it it was actually made such a big issue in Australia that he was gone. He had gone back to play grade cricket. Um, it turned out he needed to prove to Cricket Australia that he was fit enough to play in the India Test Series coming up and there was no Shield um, or State cricket on at the time. So the only thing he could play was grade cricket. And there were so many people that had turned out to watch media. Um, I think he actually felt comfortable and safe in the dressing room away from the carnage that was outside, um, you know, constantly being asked for interviews, autographs. Um, so I think he quite enjoyed the fact that he was in the dressing room just being normal. We didn't really touch on anything cricket related. It was more just a normal chat. Um, I actually played against him the following year when Australia had the tour game and we played against him. And he remembered me, which was nice. I must have had a positive impact on him. I don't, I don't have that on many people. So um, he's, we just sort of caught up, asked how each other were. And yeah, nothing really in depth. Um, you know, you can just tell his knowledge of cricket's there. He, he spoke in the dressing room tactically about the game that we were in. Um, you can just tell he's, he's obviously he's an Australian cricket captain. You can tell his knowledge of the game was there. and. Um, he just came across like a nice guy. That is excellent to hear, Rob. And again, before we get into our chats about the professional circuit and we talk about your time in county cricket, we have to speak a little bit about your time at Bedfordshire because that is your home county and you did represent the, the national county side in H group cricket. So in terms of those years, how pivotal, how important were those years spent in the Bedfordshire age groups? Um, yeah, very important. I mean, it, it, it creates the pathway um, for any cricketer. And, you know, got, uh, being from Dunstable, it's a small town. Um, 
you know, guys going on to play for Bedfordshire, it's, it's actually quite a big deal for for those guys. Um, and minor counties play such an important role in in cricket in general. You know, it, they were good to me. They gave me a, a debut, a professional, uh, a minor counties first team debut when I was young. I think I was only sixteen, maybe. Um, and it it was a decent standard, to be fair. And playing that at a young age, getting used to competitive cricket um you know and it, even the age group stuff we we had a pretty good age group side to be honest we had guys who have gone on and actually played uh professional cricket themselves we had a guy christian davis played for north ants um and i think he ended up at sussex for a little bit um james kettleborough was at middlesex north ants and glamorgan we had a good side. We used to we used to beat some of the the bigger counties back there. It was a long time ago. We were twelve, thirteen, and I'm not sure it really has too much of an impact. But you know, we were a good side, and we were all good mates. And yeah, it, it is important. And I, I owe a lot to Bedfordshire, and hopefully, I can give back a little bit. I've played for Bedfordshire recently. Actually, I always, if I get a chance, um, whether it's I've been injured and I need to get some cricket in. Um, or if I haven't been selected and I'm, you know, not got anything on, I've played for Bedfordshire. So um, I know they've got a lot of respect from the guys who have come through that system. Uh, Alex Wakely won. He, he played for Bedfordshire this year. He retired from cricket and found himself playing for Bedfordshire. Um, so I know, you know, they look after their players well and people want to give back to them, which is nice. It certainly is. And I completely echo that sentiment about the national county sides because they are a very, very important bedrock for a number of people's careers. And in terms of your time with the county, Rob, what do you say was the highlight from your time at Bedfordshire? Um, definitely just making friends um, that I still speak to today and just having fun. And they they sort of gave me the opportunity to be a professional cricketer. So, um it definitely be that. Yeah, I can't. I, I haven't really got a bad word to say about them, to be honest. I always, if I get a chance to go down and watch and support and show my face, um, there's always familiar faces there um, that I've grown up with. So it's just nice to give back to them as much as I can. It certainly is. And to be honest, that's a very, very refreshing attitude to have because it's almost like, as you've mentioned, giving back, isn't it? to the team which have given you the foundation to go on and have the career that you've had. And talking of that career, Rob, we have to speak now about your time at Northamptonshire County Cricket Club because, as you mentioned beforehand, you started off at Dunstable Town Cricket Club, then moved up through the Bedfordshire age group system and then switched over to Northants via the EPP and Phil Rowe. So in terms of that initial opportunity, you mentioned about the swap, but how did that first opportunity first materialise at Northampton? Um, just that that phone call. Um, Dad got a phone call. Um, I think it was actually for a guy called James Knott, who's head of cricket at Stowe. And then a guy called Dave Mercer, who was involved in Bedfordshire age groups, who obviously had links with, with Northampton and other counties. And uh, Dad got a, a phone call asking me to go up. Northampton were holding a sort of a yeah, an EPP trial day for guys outside the area. Um, and so we made the journey up and I didn't really know what to expect. I was 12. I didn't really know anything about 
professional cricket or professional environments. All I knew was Dunstable and Bedfordshire. Um, so turning up to the the ground, walking out, seeing the stands was all a bit like, wow, this is like, this isn't a club ground. This is like, a, yeah, there's big indoor school. And it was like, wow, yeah, I, I want to be here. Um, and that sort of in, inspired me to try and work hard. I wanted to go back. They made the environment fun, welcoming. Um, yeah, it was it, it was great. Being such a young boy to have that opportunity was was amazing. It certainly was. And you mentioned about the the stands and the big indoor school and the fact that it is a first class cricket ground, one of only eighteen in terms of the the main HQs in county cricket. What was your initial impression and what were your first reactions like to that experience at Northants? Because going from Dunstable, which is very much a, a club ground and then the national counties, it is a completely different system, isn't it? A completely different setting. So in terms of your first reactions and initial impressions of North Ants, what were they like? Yeah, exactly that. I, I walked from the car park just to have a look at the, the ground and just couldn't really believe that there was stands and, you know, the cricket. I didn't know anything about professional cricket, really. Um, I was always a big football fan, didn't didn't really pay much attention to cricket. I played it and enjoyed it and would watch England, and but I didn't really know anything else. So to, to turn up at the ground and see stands and um, the indoor school with pictures of of players up and it was a bit like wow yeah this is this is something I can get get used to and you certainly have in the years that have followed as we shall touch upon in due course Rob but before we do it's funny that you mentioned football because I'm not sure whether or not this is a massively known fact or not but I did find it during my research for this podcast but when you were younger you did actually have a youth contract at Luton Town FC so in in terms of the I don't know, the balance between those two sports, first and foremost. How did you balance your time in crickets with your time in football? Was that quite difficult, per se? Um, yeah, it was. When when I got picked for Luton, I was really young, actually. I got picked for Luton at um, seven, which is an incredible age to be picked up in a by a professional football team. It, it just blows my mind, really. But I was lucky enough... Um, I grew up a few doors down from a Chelsea and Luton legend Kerry Dixon, and I sort of had no choice. His son was um, my age; we went to school together, and I almost had no choice but to get into football. He he set up a um, a junior team in the area and got into football. And next thing you know, I'm again I'm at a Luton trial, and Dad got a phone call saying I've been selected for the Luton age groups and. It got to, you know, it did get tough when when you get to sort of 13, 14 and all your sports at the weekend. Um, it was going from cricket straight to football or football straight to cricket, you know, missing the rushing off after. It, got, it was getting to the point where, you know, I'd have to, as soon as the final whistle went, I had to run back to the changing room, get my cricket stuff on, jump in the car and go. Um so it was tough, but you know, at that age, you just love sport. You just want to play sport. So I obviously loved every minute of it. But 
it just got to the stage where it was time to commit to one or the other. And I know I said it to you before we went on air, it was just, you know, I, I was never going to be a professional footballer. Um, and cricket was going all right at the time. So it just, Luton asked me to choose between football or cricket, couldn't continue. And I chose cricket, broke out of a contract with Luton and yeah, the rest is history. But yeah, I'm not sat here saying, you know, I'd I'd be out there at Kenilworth Road now playing for Luton uh, in the Premier League because there was absolutely no chance. Um, but, you know, it, playing all these sports as a young lad gives you skills for, for every sport. So I... It was. I was just lucky enough to, yeah, to play in that environment. Well, I'm really, really glad that you've just touched upon that then, because that was my next question about transferable skills, because this is something which has cropped up time and time again on this podcast and does in just wider sporting conversations. So when you look at some famous cricketers, right, I think first and foremost to A.B. de Villiers, right, he played hockey in South Africa and he's even been quoted as saying that it's helped him in terms of his batting. Kevin Peterson played an awful lot of sport, tennis, hockey, you name it, Kevin Peterson played the lot. So in terms of those transferable skills, what were those skills, do you think, which transcended the sports of football and cricket? Um, I don't really know. Maybe it, I'd imagine it definitely helped my fielding, being quicker across the ground. Um, you know, football, you need low centre of gravity, you need to move quick. Um so I think it's probably helped my fielding definitely. Um, fitness, football is a different sort of fitness to to cricket. So I'd imagine that would have played a part. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know to be honest. I don't really know. I, I, I'd say mainly fielding and you know being quick on your feet, um, being able to move quickly in different directions um, definitely would have helped my fielding. And also the the cliche one, which is teamwork, isn't it? Because it is yeah. another team sport. Yeah. So improves communication, improves leadership skills. You name it, basically. That is why at such a young age, it is definitely recommended to have a, a wide plethora of sports that you choose and not just specialise in one from an early age. But just one final question, because I'm a, a massive football fan myself. Who's your favourite ever footballer? Oh, Frank Lampard, yeah. I'm a ch- I, Kerry made me support Chelsea basically so I am a Chelsea fan even though you know Luton just around the corner and but I grew up watching Chelsea Kerry took me to Chelsea training ground a few times to meet the players so I've actually got a um a nice little selfie with Frank Lampard from when I was about god real young um I've got that and the Gianfranco Zola selfie that I've still got somewhere so I'm a Chelsea fan and Lampard's obviously Chelsea legend, and he so it's got to be Lamps. Yeah, one of England's greatest ever midfielders. Still, still not over that ghost goal in 2010. Absolutely robbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah against Germany, but it's one of them absolute legends of the game, Frank Lampard. And I say that as an Arsenal fan, probably wouldn't be my favourite player when he was playing against us. But yeah, a very, very good midfielder to say the least. But Rob, getting back on track then to our chats about North Ants, we've got to talk about your debut for the Tudor Rose because, as is the case with any cricketer, your debut is always one of the most special days, if not the most special, of your entire career. So in terms of that day, walking out onto that cricket field and representing Northamptonshire County Cricket Club for the very first time, what can you remember 
about that day and the emotions surrounding that incredibly special occasion? Um, it was slightly different to normal, actually. I was I was only eighteen. It was it was a one day game um, on Sky against Yorkshire, who at the time, um, yeah, Tim Bresnan was playing, Ajmal Shazad was playing. They were both playing for England at the time. Um, I was actually meant to be twelve. I was in to be twelfth man, and uh, Mal Lloyd sort of pulled up a bit crook at the early stages of the warm ups and. I remember it just being a massive rush. I wasn't prepared to play. I wasn't thinking I was going to play. Um, my parents were still in Dunstable, so they didn't know I was going to play. Um, I then got the the nod um, to say you're playing um, and you're going to open the batting, which I hadn't done. I was batting sort of five, six, seven in the twos at the time. I was still young, 18. Um, I'd never opened the batting in a one-day game before. Um Got the nod saying you're playing. Um, rushed off the field, got a message to mum and dad to say I was playing. They made their way up. Um, yeah, just opened the batting on TV against um, two England bowlers. Was I mean, I think I got 15. Um, I remember taking a nice catch on the boundary off, um, off Jack Brooks. But yeah, it just it sort of gives you that taste of professional cricket under lights on TV. It was pro forty back then as well, so um, it sort of makes you want it more, I guess. The debut, um, it, it didn't go as I'd planned. I'd like to score more runs than fifteen, and obviously contributed a bit more. But it's amazing experience, and the way it came about slightly different. It's not the classic, you know. You get told the day before you can prep. Um, I didn't get to have a net in the morning. I had to have a few underarms because it was that late notice um, and it was straight out there. I didn't really have much time to think about it. So uh, in an ideal world, it would have gone a different way and I would have found out slightly differently, but it is what it is and it, it sets you up for your career. It, it does, and that was completely out of your control, wasn't it? All you can do is go out there and <laughs> and make your debut, but goodness me, that is not the ideal start is it in terms of the preparation but with that being said actually that has come up quite a few times on this platform with players who have been told on the day so for example Brad Curry didn't have a clue about his debut in in first class cricket and then he went and took a fiver in in his first game at, at Lords for Sussex so it can work out sometimes so the lack of preparation would have allowed some nerves to creep in but then at the same time because it was so on sets and so rushed did you actually have any time for the nerves to kick in or were you relatively calm on that day? Um, obviously, as a young 18-year-old, like, the first thing that came to mind was um, it's on TV against two England bowlers. Don't embarrass yourself. Um, I think it took me it took me about 13 balls to get off the mark, I think. Um, and that's when you start getting nervous because you don't want a, a long nought on debut on TV. Um but yeah, because it was so rushed, I didn't have time to sort of think about it for too long. I had a short time to get myself ready. And because I was opening the batting, it was get your kit on and straight out there. We batted first. Um, yeah, there wasn't much time to to think. And in the field, I, th- I didn't really get nervous in the field either. I just remember trying to enjoy it as much as I could. Um, ended up fielding 
pretty well. Took a, took a couple of catches, one nice catch diving forward. Um, but yeah, it was obviously you do get the nerves walking up to bat on your debut. Um, obviously, you're going to be nervous, but yeah, I can't really remember too much about it, to be honest. Well, to be honest, that's quite common. It really is because the adrenaline just kicks in, doesn't it? When you're on your debut as an 18-year-old, in particular on the Sky cameras, actually, that is not that that common on this podcast. Usually it's just a normal game as opposed to a televised one. So, yeah, yeah. definitely a, a memorable debut, to say the least, Robbins. Again, this might be a very difficult question because there's been an awful lot of highlights from your time at North Ant so far. But would you say that that debut is the proudest moment from your time at the club to date or has something in the years that have followed maybe surpassed that because you've had some incredible individual performances 2016 obviously stands out from a club perspective as well lifting the t20 blast so in terms of those career highlights which one do you think stands out above all others uh definitely the um the 2013 and 2016 um T20 wins I didn't I was involved in the 2013 I didn't play but I was I was 12th man and fielded in every game um don't know whether that was a bit of tactical genius from from Rips trying to get some of the the big boys off the field and sending me on to field but we were such a tight knit group in 2013 it was like a group of mates playing and everyone wanted the best for each other and yeah I was basically a a fielder in that campaign but I was made to feel like one of the one of the lads one of the 11 um and to see the work that went in that winter on I mean we targeted white ball that winter um the work that went in and the position the club was in at the time financially um to see Wake as a very good friend of mine um lift the trophy um and see him and Rips, just that joy together was incredible. Um, and then 2016 was a similar similar sort of thing. There was well-known troubles that the club were having financially. You, we were getting told regularly that, you know, the club might not be here anymore. So, you know, prepare for that if you can. Um, for us to then win in 2016 um with such a small squad was incredible and they're definitely the highlights of my career you know i think team success is outweighs any individual um moments for me a, a debut's a debut everyone has one um but to lift trophies not everyone gets a chance to do that so they're definitely proud moments of mine well to be honest rob i i do quite like that answer team before the individual it's a very very important attitude to have but we will talk about some of those individual performances in particular one against Glamorgan which does stand out and I'd love to know a bit more about that particular game and that incredibly memorable performance but before I do touch upon that we'll start first and foremost with 2013 because even though you didn't play as big of a role in that campaign as you mentioned you were still involved as a 12th man and very much involved in the team from a fielding capacity so in terms of finals day I just wanted to ask about your memories surrounding that day because it's a criminally underrated finals day David Willey won the competition with a hat trick and no one seems to talk about it so in terms of your memories from finals day 2013 
How can you remember and recall that fateful day at Edgebaston? Uh, to be fair, the, the whole build-up is just incredible in itself. You know, you go down there the day before, um, you have your training, you do all the media commitments. Um, well, I didn't. The, the senior players did all the, the media commitments and everything's being set up. Um, and then when you just you get your kit on and you walk down the, the steps and you just see a packed house um and the buzz around the ground the atmosphere is just it's incredible um and for that reason edgebaston is always going to be one of my favorite grounds just for just to witness and be part of that amazing atmosphere is i can't explain it really it is something else it's as close to a sort of football atmosphere as you're going to get i think in in cricket terms um and it just slowly builds up throughout the throughout the day so we we've played in the three times i've been to finals day we played the first game every time and so you sort of play have a bit of time to kill some players stay and like to watch the the second semi some go back to the hotel i was always back to the hotel have a chill um and then when you come back to the ground for the final the the noise just increases where obviously the alcohol's flowing, it's hitting the systems a bit more. It just gets louder and louder. And then, the, you know, the finals are just, the back end of the finals are just incredible. We were unlucky enough to be on the wrong side of one in 2015, but to come back in 2016 and win it was, yeah, just amazing. Well, let's talk about 2016 because that really was an incredibly, incredibly special day for Northamptonshire County Cricket Club, beating Durham by four wickets in the final. In terms of that day, in terms of that occasion, this time you were very much active. You were part and parcel of the winning team in that final, Rob. What can you recall from finals day 2016? Because that has to be up there, doesn't it, in terms of career highlights? Oh, I think for me it's at the top. Um, definitely. we. I think in both games we were 9 for 3 and 15 for 3 and witnessing some special innings. Um, ben Duckett in the first game uh, against Notts, I think he got 90-odd. And then Cobby in the final, I think he got 80-odd. Um, again, being 9 for 3 and 15 for 3 in the final, um, it's, ne- it's never helpful, put it that way. Um, but see those guys stand up and, and Wakers again, I think he got... Um, 250s I think or that might have been 2013 but something like that I know he played an anchor role in both games and let the other two sort of take the limelight um but I just remember I took a nice catch off Andre Russell in the semi-final when he was hitting it all round Edgebaston and um we thought the game was going to be taken away from us and yeah a couple of quick wickets I took a nice catch on the boundary in front of all the North Ants fans, actually, which was really nice because it could have been the opposite end of the ground. And But to take that catch in front of our home supporters was um, was amazing and the buzz around the place. And to then get into the final, you, anything can happen in those playoff games. So, you know, they had a good team. Stokes was playing, Keaton Jennings playing, Mark Wood. Um, I just remember being sat in the dugout myself and Steve Crook were... We're batting five and six and uh, sorry, six and seven, because Wakers was in at five, yeah. Um 
and we could see Woody warming up and he was bowling far. We turned up to watch a bit of the second semi-final and he was bowling at um, Bairstow Root and Balance and he was bowling fast. Um, he was warming up and Rips just looked at Crookie and said, you fancy it? And he said, no, send Keezy in next. Um, and I was like, all right, all right, thanks for that. Um, I then went in and, and sort of saw us over the line, managed to hit the winning runs. Um which was so special. I, I only got 15, 20, but to hit the winning runs and sort of be out there for that moment when all the boys come charging off from the dugout is just with fireworks going. It's, it's just such a special memory to look back on in my career. And rightly so. Rightly so, Rob. It was an incredibly, incredibly special moments, an extraordinary day. Northamptonshire County Cricket Club and you mentioned the likes of Josh Cobb who did score 80, Alex Wakeley spot on, anchored the innings brilliantly with 43 and then yourself scoring 16 out from 11 balls including the match winning runs. I mean what is that like? Did you ever imagine in your life that you'd win one trophy let alone a second and in particular for that second trophy you'd hit the winning runs. It's what dreams are made of isn't it? Yeah it is, it is and I, I... I could never imagine it. I've always sort of been a bits and parts sort of cricketer for, for North Anson White Ball, um, especially at that time. You know, I was a floater. I could bat anywhere between four and not bat, basically. Um, so to get the opportunity to go out there and see us over the line and hit the winning runs, I, I never thought would happen. Um, it's funny, actually, Rips did his his speech the day before we had um, a team room at the hotel and had a bite to eat and had a meeting, a bit of analysis and stuff. And Rips went around the room with obviously the players we had in, in the room at the time. And I remember he, he gets to me and says, obviously incredible fielder can do anything and going to take a match winning catch. And that for that to happen, to take that catch um, off Andre Russell to happen. I, I always remember that meeting with Rips mentioning it and, yeah, just yeah, to be part of that that squad, be part of that team. We had a few setbacks. We had uh, Richard Gleeson was on fire for us in the group stages. He was then ruled out um, of finals day. Um, Sando hadn't played much in 2016. Came in in finals day and put in two incredible performances. And then obviously you have the the bigger names, the Rory Kleinvelds, the Azarilla at the time. Um, the Graham Whites, you know, the guys who've been there, done it. Um, yeah, it was just incredible. The team was so close and you could tell over that period of time, it was such a good few years for the club. Um, obviously, 2013, we got promoted as well as won the T20. Um, 2015, we lost in the final um, and should have been promoted. And then 2016, we won it and again, should have been promoted. We missed out by a point um, of promotion and we actually got deducted five points for over eight away at knots in a absolute crazy game. We would have been better off not turning up um, than coming away with five, not minus five points. Um, but yeah, just over that period, we were just such a tight-knit group. Um, again, the troubles that the club were having were everyone knew about them the players knew about them and because we were such a small squad um it almost helped us really we we're all just really good mates and wanted the best for everyone 
Well, it's interesting you mention that because that's cropped up a lot on this podcast. In terms of North Ants as a club, it's very much a, a tight-knit family, isn't it? It's more of a community club in comparison to, let's say, some test match hosting clubs who feel a bit more like an organisation just because of their size and their their club organisation. But in terms of that North Ants group in particular, I just wanted to touch upon two men in particular, right? Alex Wakeley and David Ripley. Rips is an absolute legend. I had to bring him up on this podcast. In terms of their influence on your career, Rob, how important have those two been in shaping your career and also, I suppose, shaping that golden era of Northamptonshire cricket? Yeah, incredible. I mean, Rips, Rips especially, he he was obviously involved when I joined as, as a 12-year-old. He was the academy coach then, so that was his role. And I played for the academy with Rips playing as well. So um, I grew up with Rips. He he shot me down as a wicketkeeper. I turned up as a 12-year-old wicketkeeper. He, he said that we've got um, a guy called Jack Johnson at the time who was my age, playing in the age groups, um, who was the academy wicketkeeper. And they said there's a young lad called Ben Duckett coming through there, you know, if I carry on as wicketkeeper, I'm not gonna not gonna progress. Um, maybe try some off spin, and that turned out probably better than I'd have hoped. Um, I don't think I sort of took my off spin too seriously until sort of 2015 sort of time when I was playing in 2013, uh, 14, 15. We always had James Middlebrook, who was our out and out spinner. Um, you know, we had Condelang. Um, before that and Matt Spriegel came and had a had a few years with us so it was always I never bowled and when I did bowl teams were 400 for five and it was declaration bowling almost but um, Rips was always a big believer in my bowling actually and it, it was almost myself that got in the way of that Rips was always really keen for me to bowl and work my bowling and would always encourage me to go and speak to people um, and improve it. I just wish I'd took his advice a little bit sooner, actually, rather than just saying, well, I don't bowl in the game. What's, like, what's the point? And just focusing more on batting and fielding. I wish I did sort of take his advice and, and work on the bowling sooner because it definitely would have helped my career. And, you know, I back myself as a bowler now. I wish I did back then. Well, you should back yourself as a bowler. And to be honest, Rob, you could not have, <laughs> have set me up any better to be honest, to talk about a particular performance from 2016, a very, very memorable one, to say the least, because it involved you taking your career best figures, 9 for 52. Absolutely unbelievable. They were the second best figures in the whole of the county championship in that summer. So in terms of that day, in terms of that game, what can you remember from that fateful fixture against Glamorgan at Wantage Road? Um, I remember. Uh, I remember Ben Duckett getting. I think he might have got a double hundred actually. Um, I remember Ben getting getting a lot of runs, and Kieran Carlson got um, five for Glamorgan bowling some off spin. Um, it wasn't actually meant to be a spinning pitch. It was meant to be a, a green seamer, um, but obviously it was. I think it was beginning of September, so it would have been a used used pitch anyway. Um, and obviously, Kieran getting five in the first innings, I thought, oh, gee, I'm going to have a bit of bit of a bowl here, is spinning. Um, 
and then I could have never have imagined what happened next. It just seemed to come out of my hand perfectly. Um, I always say to Whitey now, he still owes me a beer for taking that one, um, one at the other end, not letting me get 10. But no, it just, I was high in confidence from my bowling then. It was, you know, not long after the um, the T20 win. So the, the spirit around the place and the group was um, amazing. Um, and everything was just coming off. Everything I tried, um, little subtle variations that i mean rory climbed he used to think i was ashwin i'm sure he kept telling me do this try that do this and i'd say to him rory mate i just bowl normal off spin um but when i did try it, it seemed to come off that day um and yeah just a yeah incredible day it really was and you mentioned about graham white's heat at the wicket of, of jack rudolph on that day in terms of the other nine rob which you took can you remember the nine Glamorgan batters? Um, David Lloyd, I remember that one. Um, Waggy, I remember Waggy because yeah, he used to tell me he used to get involved when I was batting. So I remember Waggy. Um, God, God, I'm telling you all the tail. I'm going to tell you the tail enders here. Hogan. Um, is it Bragg, left-hander? Spot on. Um, Wally. Yep, Mark Wallace. Uh, Kieran Carlson. How many have I got there? Six. Ooh. Can't remember who else was playing. Yeah, God, I, you've, I've, I've hit a wall there, I think. Well, to be honest, I think you've done incredibly well there. So the other ones were Owen Morgan, not the England captain, okay. the, the Glamorgan all-rounder. Nick Selman and the final one was Tim van der Hoekden. That's the one. That's the one. Okay. I've done I've done quite well there. Do you remember though? I think you've done incredibly well, considering it was seven years ago now, flipping out. That's yeah. excellent memory. And then finished off with four for seventy-three in the second innings to finish with match figures of thirteen for 125. So I just had to mention that, Rob, because it was your career best in the bowling departments. I love my spin bowling, and <laughs> obviously that is a very, very special performance. So had to bring it up on the podcast. And just one final performance, which I did want to touch upon before we touch upon the more difficult aspects of life as a county cricketer, is your double century against Hampshire back in 2013 at the age of 21. Again, what can you recall from that performance? Because at the time... North Ants were 15 for three and in a bit of a pickle. And to say that you got them out of that pickle is a little bit of an understatement. So in terms of that game, in terms of that fixture, what can you remember about that fateful encounter at the Aegeus Bowl? Funnily enough, I can remember we had um, we had Batty on loan as a wicketkeeper for one game. Um, I remember that for some reason because I, I spent a bit of time... Um, in the middle with him um but again yeah I, I'd funnily enough I'd actually been called in to to the office probably three weeks before that um and it was obviously the club's finances and we'd been told that out of three of us that only two of us were going to get a contract and um 
you know, performances obviously matter. But I knew at that time I was in the first team and played a little bit of first team cricket. Um, again, a good friend of mine, Rob Newton, was in amazing form um, and then snapped his Achilles or something, which then gave me the opportunity to come in to the first team and bat number five. And I remember getting a couple of 30s and 40s in the games before. Um, and I think I got a 60 at Edgebaston in a white ball game the week before. And I just felt in really good touch, but wasn't getting the the big scores that I was sort of hoping for and the big scores that I'd got in the twos at the start of the year. Um, and then, yeah, Hampshire, it's almost like nothing to lose. You're 15 for three, everyone else is getting out. Um, I just played with freedom, to be honest. Um, young 21-year-old, you don't really think too much about consequences and obviously there's nerves there but it just we had one of those innings I guess and it turned out to be my first 50 which was my first 100 and obviously first 150 first 200 um and I always have a joke with the boy whenever our lads get a um a CB round in I'm I'm first to jump all over that because if I have to get a CB round in Red Bull cricket it's uh it's been pretty. It's been a good day. If I beat two two one and beat nine for um, I'll be pretty happy. I bet you would be flipping heck. It was a great, great innings. Really was two hundred twenty one from three hundred eighty three balls, and that was the incredible thing about this knock. Your previous best was forty four. I mean, it's it's some jump up, isn't it, from forty four to <laughs> two hundred twenty one, and yeah, the game ultimately being salvaged, though Northant saving the draw. I just thought that was a wonderful knock, so had to touch upon that as well, Rob. But now that we've spoken at length about the highlights and the fantastic moments at North Ants, we do have to touch upon the other side of cricket, which is the unfortunate aspects of the game, but it's part of it nonetheless. And that is the more difficult and tougher moments of this sport, because uh, as much as cricket is the greatest sport on the planet, at times it can be very unforgiving. It can be a very lonely place and a very difficult place as well in particular when you have bad performances or have an injury, for example. So in terms of your, your tougher moments at North Ants, Rob, what do you say has been your most difficult time or difficult moments at the East Midlands Club to date? Um, definitely injuries are up there. In 2014, after the such the high of 2013, obviously we got promoted and won the T20. I think 2014, we probably won five games in total that year um, across all three forms. It just everything that could go wrong did go wrong that year with injuries. Um, I actually, I broke broke finger in the pre-season game before the first game of the year, which was, it was a bad one, needed surgery. And I think that was, I was out for 14 weeks. Um, got back on the field, um, ended up scoring 100 against Sri Lanka in the touring game um, and then two games later we were at Lords and I broke another finger um, day one session one um, field in so I didn't get to bat at Lords which was disappointing still haven't actually um, so hopefully we play at Lords this this um, this summer because last summer we were at Merchant Taylors <laughs> yeah and that was another 12 weeks out so that season for me was back it was play uh sorry get injured miss the first chunk get back play a handful of games and then get injured again for a big chunk and luckily for me I ended up 
coming back and playing the last couple of games and scored 100 against Sussex in the, the last game um, of the season in Div 1, which was nice. Um, and definitely, you know, last year was tough, actually, for the club. Um, you know, we obviously got relegated. It didn't go how we would have hoped. Um, not only relegated, we got, you know, we got beaten pretty badly in the championship, which is is tough. Um, it's tough to take every week and hopefully we can have a reset and and build again for for the summer coming and try and get back into Div 1 because I, I personally feel like the club deserves to be there. Um, I feel like we've got some very talented players. It's just something didn't click for us and we proved it actually at the back end of the year that we are a good side. You know, we made Surrey follow on at the Oval and not many people do that. Um, not many teams get the chance to make Surrey follow on um, at their home ground. And we made Essex follow on um, and beat them in the last game of the year. Um, and we nearly got over the line at Edgebaston in a th- unbelievable game, actually. Um, so, you know, we know we can do it. Um, it's just a shame it took until September for us to really kick in and show what we can do. Um don't need to find any excuses, but we did have a few key players missing at the start of the year. Sando, obviously everyone knows Sando and how good Sando is. To miss him for a chunk of games, um, Louis McManus was our vice-captain and keeper. To miss him for, yeah, I think, five, six games in the middle. Um, and Procky, the captain, missed probably five, six games in the middle as well. So, you know, they're big players for us Um being a small squad to miss your captain, vice captain, and arguably best best bowler is um, is tough. Um, but again, no excuses. We weren't good enough. We know we weren't good enough, and we're looking to build on that next year. And that's all you can do, isn't it? The fact is, might have been relegated this season, but you can always come back up. That's the great thing about this two tier system, isn't it? The fact is, if you win the second division or even finish second, you'll be back in the first division in no time and that has got to be the aim of North Ants heading into the summer of 2024 and in terms of last season Rob I know that you've touched upon some of the struggles there so in terms of injuries in terms of some lackluster performances in particular at the start of the season I know this might be a pretty difficult question but in hindsight and with the power of reflection what do you think was the major factor behind North Ants getting relegated was it the injuries was it the the poor form at the start of the season? Was it something else? How do you reflect on that season and where things might have gone wrong, per se? Um, it's always easy to point fingers and find excuses. I I just think we weren't good enough um, at the start of the year. We weren't good enough. And confidence is a massive thing. Losing becomes a habit. Um, and the confidence of, you know, very rarely do you have the majority of the team that low on confidence. Um, you know, it can be the odd player here or there if things are going well, but to have a group of batters so low on confidence um, and a bowling unit, again, low on confidence, catches were going down, slips were low on confidence. You know, it's for the majority of the team to be that low in confidence, it's only going to have a negative effect and it almost just snowballed throughout the season um and it's what we took it into the other formats as well to be honest you know it, it just sort of rolled on and until it got to the time where september you know um 
we sort of set out a survival guide to try and keep us in in Div One, and we knew that it was a pretty tough ask, but we also knew what we needed to do. Hence the bizarre game at Edgebaston where we set them 120 um, in in two sessions. But we nearly got over the line. We showed some courage and we nearly got over the line there. And again, we went to the Oval the week after and needing a win and we nearly won. That's arguably, if it wasn't for the weather, we probably would have beaten Surrey. Um, and we had pro- probably two days washed out, a lot of cricket washed out. Um, yeah, and then we obviously, we win the game in three days in the last game of the year. But it's, it shouldn't have gone down to September. Um, we should have found ways to grind out results earlier than that to not leave us in that position. And just touching upon that, because obviously at, at times defeat can actually be a very useful thing, can't it? Because it's where you learn your biggest lessons. And that's just something I wanted to touch upon before we talk about the future. What do you think was the biggest lesson, Rob, that you learned in the summer of 2023? Because it was a difficult season, but then again, at the same time, there were some really positive parts of the season. So, for example, the start of the One Day Cup, when Pritvi Shaw came in, all of a sudden the side seemed galvanised and wins were coming. But it was a very, very difficult season in many other ways. So what do you say was your biggest learning lesson from an individual perspective from the summer of 2023? Um, I just think, I think it's a big learning curve for some young players. I I went through a similar thing at a young age in 2014 where we didn't win much and obviously got relegated. Um, it just shows as a young player, you just almost feel like you're free and you're invincible if you like. So for them to, you know, go through bad periods of form, um, losing games, it sort of brings it humbles you a little bit you you know i actually heard someone say a good quote actually you're never as good as you think you are but you're also never as bad as you think you are um you know cricket's such a funny game it's like you know you could get a duck one week and then you go out and you get 100 the week after or even an innings after it's such a funny game and you know that the year just gone has been a massive learning curve for everyone at the club, not just um, not just players, young players, senior players, but I think everyone um, can learn from it and, you know, try and... We've got some really good young players who, um, who are going to have bright, successful futures, but they can learn from last year and, you know, it's not always going to be rosy. And I think the biggest learning for me is that we weren't as together as a team as what I was certainly used to in the North Ants dressing room um, for some reason or another. But those sort of years definitely bring people closer together and you've got to have everyone's back and you want to, you have to want to play for the, the badge rather than sort of play for yourself. Um, I'm not saying that people were going out there and playing for themselves, by the way, but you know, there's certainly, there's a bigger picture to it um, and you're representing the club and you're representing everyone in that dressing room, not just yourself. So there's definitely learning and I think everyone's looking forward to, you know, putting things right again next year, actually, which is is a positive. It certainly is. And again, you've got some great pickups in the off-season with the likes of George Bartlett, obviously Pritvi Shaw coming back, George Swimshaw, who is a very, very nice prospect, to say the least, very fast. And obviously the youth coming up 
with the likes of Rafi Weatherall as well. Great young seam bowler to keep a very close eye on heading into the future. So there are definitely positives, but it's interesting you mentioned there actually, Rob, the, the almost volatile nature of cricket, because it really is. And as a batter in particular, it really does swing violently at times, doesn't it? So there's never really this sense of balance in the world of batting. So in terms of that composure, in terms of keeping your cool and maintaining an even keel in the game of cricket, how do you maintain that focus, that composure, that level-headedness, given the incredibly volatile nature of batting? Uh, I think Again, I think it's a lot easier for me to say that now as a 32-year-old, having played for 12 years or so professional cricket. It's... Like I said earlier, you're never as good as you think you are, but you're also never as bad as you think you are. You can get yourself into some pretty rough places if things aren't going well. And it's just remembering you're actually not as bad as you think you are. And you, you know, you're there for a reason and trusting what got you to where you are, I guess. Um yeah, like I said, I think it's easier for me to sit here and say say that having probably gone through all the emotions you can have as a as a professional cricketer, especially as a batter, um, just trusting yourself, trusting your process, trusting your ability, trusting your technique, and trying to back it as much as possible. I think batters get in the their sort of worst headspace when they're not trusting themselves and trusting their technique, and they're a bit tentative. Is certainly what happened to us. I think as a batting group this summer, um, where people are low on confidence, you you never fully clear on your game plans and you know it, it just snowballs so that that's one bit of advice I'll have for for young batters definitely is is you're never as bad as you you think you are when they're when you're in those bad moments um and also when things are going well uh David Sales said to me actually during that double hundred I was um I was 150 not out overnight and he said to me you, you got to cash in and in these moments because you never know when you're out of form and you're not going to, you know, you're struggling to get a run. Um, so when you're in, get as many as you can and make it count. And I've always sort of said that to young lads, you know, I, I do feel like a 50 and 80 as, you know, some players see that as success now. Whereas, you know, when I grew up, I was watching David Sales get 300. Um, Big scores are what attracts people, um, and just to cash in when you're in, because you 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 do never know when that run of form comes, and you you're scraping the barrel to get double figures. Um, so if you are on a hundred plus, and you know, just try and make it count, because they win games as well. Ultimately, they do, and I think that's a wonderful piece of of wisdom for any young batters out there who are listening to today's episode of the podcast. I think that is some wonderful advice, Robbins. Just touching upon that, that concept of not being as bad as you think you are, obviously something which does come into a factor nowadays, as opposed to the 2000s or the 1990s, is social media. So just before we touch upon the future, I did just want to talk about this because we, we've spoken at length on this podcast about the, the great aspects of social media and the negative sides as well. Where do you stand in terms of the social media discussion? Because when you're playing well, obviously you feel like a million dollars, don't you? You see the highlights on Twitter and Instagram and everyone's going crazy. 
But then on the flip side, when things aren't going great, it feels like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. So how do you describe or summarise your relationship with social media? Do you think it's overall a positive thing for cricketers or maybe a negative? Um, my opinion on it is you have to take the rough with a smooth. Um, obviously, if things aren't going great, it, it's never nice to just have a flick through Twitter and see your name being mentioned in in a negative way um but like you mentioned there on the flip side when things are going well and you flick through twitter and you see in um some nice comments it, it is nice i just think you have to be clever with it don't leave yourself open and vulnerable to criticism i think if you're quite vocal on twitter you te- you'll get more you you know um I've never really seen it as a big issue. I, I know when I've had a bad game. I don't need someone on Twitter to tell me that I've had a bad game. I know that. Um, and them telling me on Twitter that I've had a bad game doesn't necessarily affect me. But I can certainly see how younger players now who have grown up with that social media... Um, I, I can certainly see how it affects them. It's, it's just trying to learn that you know, it's not the be all and end or what some bloke behind the keyboard is saying and um, almost trying to use it as motivation, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's something that's never really, it's never really affected me too much, to be honest. I, you know, like I said, I I know if I've had a bad game. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't need someone to tell me. Um and if they do tell me, they're telling me something that I already know anyway. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not the end of the world. Well, I am glad to hear that because we have had a lot of players on this podcast who have had very differing experiences with social media. And at times it's difficult. I mean, I can't say that I fully can empathise because I'm not a professional cricketer, but I imagine at times it does get difficult when you are in a bad patch, you may be in a bad place outside of the game and then all of a sudden you've just got a load of abuse coming your way. I can definitely see the the double-edged nature of the social media beast, but it's just a case of, right, when you're not doing well, just put it to one side, log out of Twitter, log out of Instagram, just ignore the white noise. I think that'd be my advice. And I say that as someone who isn't a professional cricketer, but that's just how I would deal with it personally. And in terms of the conversation outside of social media, Rob, before we touch upon the future and end today's episode, just one final thing, a quite nice question I wanted to ask, was about what North Ants means to you, because you've been at the club now for well over a decade. It is your home club, you've made Wanted Road, your, your place really in county cricket, and you've become a stalwart at the club over the years. So in terms of that badge, in terms of the Tudor Rose of Northamptonshire County Cricket Club, what does playing for the East Midlands outfit mean to Rob Keogh? Yeah, it's obviously very special to play at your your boyhood club somewhere that took me on at the age of 12. Um, and to go out there and represent them every time, I, it means a lot more when you win. Um, and I'd hope to think that I've given back to the supporters of the club who have backed me for over a decade and supported me through the tough times, through the good times. Um, It's just a brilliant 
club. It's a family club. Um, yeah, it, it, it does mean a lot. For, they gave me that opportunity, so I'd hope to think that I've repaid them as much as I can. And I would just hope that the supporters can see that every time I cross the boundary rope, I give everything that I've got um, for the badge and to pay back what they gave me. Um, they gave me the opportunity, like I said. So it only seems right that I give 100% every time I walk over the uh, the rope, whether it's bowling, batting or fielding. Um, and I hope if you walk around the ground and ask people, I'd hope to think they say that they can see that when I play. So, yeah, it does mean a lot. It's very special to play for your um, your homegrown club. I can imagine it is. And to be honest, Rob, I think you've done a great job so far. The career isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. I know you've got the testimonial around the corner, but fingers crossed, no retirements anytime soon because still got plenty in the tank. 16 first-class career centuries for the club. Three ones in limited overs as well. Plenty of wickets. We mentioned that nine for and uh, wealthy. The emergence of your spin over the years, becoming a, a batting all-rounder as opposed to just a specialist bat. So, yeah, very, very excited, to be honest, to see what the future has in store for you, Rob. And talking of the future, what a fantastic way to transition into the final question of today's podcast. Rob Keogh, what are your future aspirations in this wonderful game of cricket? Because I imagine in the near future, it's promotion. I think that will be on everyone's radar at Wantage Road. But in terms of from a, a club perspective, from an individual perspective, what are you looking to achieve heading into the summer? of 2024 and the years beyond uh yeah you hit the nail on the head there i think in the immediate future is definitely getting the club back into division one um i touched on it earlier i personally feel like the club belongs there deserves to be there um and are good enough to be there um so it's definitely getting getting the club back up to division one and I've been lucky enough in my career to win some trophies with the club. So I'd love to experience that again um, in any format, really. So just to try and add another trophy to the collection um, for North Ants would be incredible. So hopefully that's um, not too far away either. Well, Rob, it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everyone associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast wishing yourself and North Ants all the very best heading into 2024 and the years beyond. I think I do make it quite obvious on this podcast sometimes. I do have a bit of a soft spot for the East Midlands outfit and this year was rough. But then again, the future does look bright. You've got the offensive capabilities to get back into the promised land of Division 1. And to be honest, I do think that you'll make a very, very good go of it in 2024. So fingers crossed, North Ants will be promoted and who knows? Another trophy on the horizon. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Maybe a T20 Blast or the Metro Bank One Day Cup. It's always lovely to add an extra piece of silverware into the trophy cabinet. But that does basically bring us to an end to what has been a fascinating episode of the County Cricket Podcast. Rob, before we say our goodbyes for the episode, do you have anything more to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? Uh, no, I don't. I won't bore you with that. Um, you've already you've already plugged the testimonial year, which is very kind of you. And yeah, hopefully we can um, pencil in another another time on the show, and I can sit here and talk about um, 
a successful season with with hopefully a trophy or a promotion so thanks for having me and yeah look forward to to hopefully that same call next year with um with some success absolutely mate well you know you're always welcome back on the counter cricket podcast at any time and folks i can't implore you enough please do go and check out rob's testimonial he has been an absolute stalwart of north ants gives an awful lot both on and off the field to the club and if anyone is deserving of a testimonial, it is the man that I'm chatting to on the podcast today. So please do go and feel free to check that out in your own time. But that is essentially it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.